This episode of Tales from the Backlog, like every episode, is brought to you by the wonderful patrons of the show. Some personal heroes of mine, like Chris Nelson, the top three podcast crew, Zulgeek, Chris Copleen, Eric Guess, Rick Firestone, Nick Ficori, Jill, Soccer, ZNA, Cupcake, Kyle, Christian S., Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, J.E.D., Doug Leaf, Jason Emery, Rob Shack, Brian Skersha, Randall, Jake Martin, Jenny E., and many more have all chosen to go to patreon.com slash realdavejackson to show their support by throwing a few bucks a month my way to help the show keep on keeping on. If you'd like to be like them and help support your favorite podcaster named Dave, once again, you can go to patreon.com slash realdavejackson. You'll get bonus episodes like upcoming my top games of other years, not 2023, will be on the Patreon. You'll also be able to vote in polls for what games appear on the show, and there's a lot of other treats too. So if that sounds interesting to you, once again, that's patreon.com slash realdavejackson. Any and all support is always appreciated. And with that being said, let's blaspheme. Hello, everybody. My name is Dave Jackson, and you're listening to Tales from the Backlog. This is a video games review podcast where each week I'm joined by a guest to bring a game out of the backlog, play it, and discuss. My guest today is a friend of the show, returning uh, many-time guest on the show, one of the OG patrons of the Tube Network, and a model penitent one, Chris Nelson. Chris, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. This is number three. Number three of the main episodes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I did yeah. do the, uh, what do you call them? We, we did that bonus episode, yeah. the top three uh, weapons that are too good to use, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris was also a guest on the episode about Mega Man X and the episode about Blasphemous, which is a good thing. A little coincidence, because today we're going to talk about Blasphemous 2, which is a Metroidvania developed by The Game Kitchen and published by Team 17 in 2023. And if you haven't played Blasphemous 2, here's how spoilers are going to work in this podcast. So every episode of Tales from the Backlog is basically the same. We're not going to spoil things during the first you know half or so of the episode and then we have a spoiler section at the end but i do want to just get out in front of this one this game like the first blasphemous game draws a lot from uh, the catholic religion and spanish culture art and history uh, which are four things that i know just about nothing about so combined with the way the storytelling works in blasphemous and blasphemous 2 We're not going to have a big story discussion in the spoiler section because I don't really know what's going on and it's not really part of my experience with this game anyway. Uh, So uh, just want to get get that out there. Don't expect a big story breakdown and, you know, drawing all the analogs to Catholic religion and Spanish history and stuff like that. Not going to happen in this episode. Uh, Check out a couple of people on YouTube. Check out The Lore Hunter and a channel I found today called Gingy. G-I-N-G-Y, for some cool story breakdowns of both Blasphemous games on YouTube. Uh, So other people are out there doing the work that I have decided is not my job on this show. (laughs) So uh, we're going to get into uh, everything else that we can get into about Blasphemous 2, though. And if you don't know what Blasphemous 2 is, we have some elevator pitches for you at the top of the show. I say, come to Blasphemous 2 for even more penance 
even more Catholic gore, and a better Metroidvania experience. And don't worry, all of the NPCs are still having the worst time ever. Chris, what would you say? Um, I would say it's definitely a game you need to play if you've played Blasphemous 1. They improved pretty much on all marks, specifically in the area of becoming a better Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Heavy on the a little bit more heavy on the Metroid. I think last time I said it was heavier on the Castlevania. I feel like they kind of went a little bit more Metroidy in this one. They gave you more options, so mm-hmm. let you uh, get your Metroid out instead of just the Castlevania in Spain. Right on. Um, I played this on Switch. It took me 17 hours to uh, get to 97% map completion and 88% total completion. Um, I was playing this during the review period, uh, before the game's release, before the uh, guides had been released, crucially. Uh, first of all, thank you to The Game Kitchen and Team 17 for sending me a review code. I did write a review back on release day, so you can go back and check the blog on the Tales from the Backlog website for that written review. But again, I did get a review code. All of this was done before I could go check a guide for where to go for that last 12%. And I think I fucked up a couple NPC quests anyway, so I don't think I can get 100%. Not that I really care, but 17 hours played on Switch ran great. Uh, Chris, where did you play it? How long did it take you? Uh, what, did, what completion did you get? Switch as well, handheld for the most part. And then mm-hmm. uh, I did 100% map, and then I think I was at like 98% total completion mm-hmm. and um i believe i don't know i i didn't do too much on the guides i definitely did some because i had the opportunity to do that being that i played it later than you did mm-hmm. so i got i think it's something to do with the uh leveling up system like getting all of the skill points on everything oh, okay so i think i'm i wasn't gonna like search every corner for the upgrade points the marks or marks of yeah. martyrdom mm-hmm. so that might be what's holding me from the full 100 or something i completely missed gotcha um about how long did all that take you um i'm just gonna say over 20 hours because at some point my and i think it might be a small bug my time looped mm-hmm. um <laughs> after the 20 hour and it started showing up i was uh near completion and the games that I had only played it for like an hour and 57 minutes. Oh, nice. I was like, well, that's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. Um, let's get into our histories with Blasphemous 2. Um, I have a feeling both of our histories are going to be very similar with this, but uh, Chris, talk about your history with this series and why did you want to play Blasphemous 2? The first one was, and this might be a little bit, again, like what I said on on the first game, it had been on my radar. I think it was even saved in my uh, my wish list. And I think I reached out to you about doing an episode. And mm-hmm. we were kind of deciding on what to play. And you brought Blasphemous up. So I went back and watched another trailer. And I was like, well, that looks exactly up my alley. Kind of a 2D Vania-ish fare. And um, I think, I can't remember exactly. I, I think I 100%ed the last one during my first playthrough because the last DLC came out just as I was finishing the game. Mm-hmm. So I got to do the kind of the whole experience with the additional endings and additional bosses and all that stuff. So I didn't have to do any 
waiting around for it. Nice. Um, just uh, for anyone, if anyone wants to go listen back to that first episode, it's episode 20 of Tales from the Backlog. So quite a long time ago in the show's history now. Yeah, for me, it's very similar. Like I played the first Blasphemous because I probably found it on like a, you know, best Switch games YouTube video or something like that. Um, absolutely loved it. One of my favorite like 2D action Metroidvania type games ever. So when Blasphemous 2 was announced, I was part of me was a little bit like, oh, I, you know, I, I kind of wish the Game Kitchen would make something different, but I, I can't really mm-hmm. fault them for wanting to capitalize on Blasphemous's success and, you know, make a sequel. But uh, it was like, obviously, I'm going to play Blasphemous 2. I um, mean, I got a chance to ask for a review code, was able to get one. So no brainer for me to play Blasphemous 2. And um, to give some quick opening thoughts before we dive into the story and stuff, I, I think that this game is pretty much like a flat improvement over the first game in most of the ways that matter as far as gameplay goes, especially there are a couple of little like criticisms I'd have with um, some of the boss fights just not being as memorable as the first game. Some of the finishing execution moves not being as memorable as the first game, but there are like, you know, easy explanations for both of those things. I think we'll get into those in the the main body of the episode here. But like it, the main thing that stood out to me was all of the criticisms that I heard about the first game were answered and then some in this. So overall, as a game, I think this is better than the first one. And I love the first one. So this is just, this is awesome. Yeah, I completely agree there. Like bosses, like you mentioned, maybe a little, um, I don't want to say underwhelming because I had a lot of fun fighting them. And I don't think there was a single one that I beat first try. So it's not like I was less challenged, but there was a little less spectacle. But I think they made up for that in like I said the the improvements to the uh, overall like exploration and gameplay and also the uh the environment in general there was a lot of really cool set pieces and also a lot of cool ideas mm-hmm. that they didn't really explore the first game had some very cool imagery but it was kind of you know snow area forest area castle mm-hmm. library sewer this one had some really kind of weird, some weird and different ideas on what a, I guess, what a set piece could be. Mm-hmm. So we're going to take a little music break here. And then when we come back, we're going to kind of dive into the story and the world of Blasphemous 2. So in Blasphemous 2, this game takes place after the events of the first game, which is set in the world of Custodia. That's how I'm pronouncing it. It's spelled confusingly. The first syllable has a V where the vowel should go. So I'm guessing yeah. that's how you say it. I've listened to lore videos and they all say Custodia, so I'm, I'm set on it. Hell yeah. We're rocking with Custodia then. So Custodia is a, a land, a very uh, pious and religious land which is dominated by this this godlike force called the Miracle. And um, mm-hmm. the Miracle kind of 
makes itself shown by uh, either helping people out or fucking up their lives beyond belief. So people pray to the miracle and a lot of times like their prayers are answered in like a very monkey's paw type of way. Uh, so mm-hmm. maybe they get what they asked for, but not the way that they hoped. Um, and in Blasphemous 2, it seems like that's happening a lot more than people getting rewarded for being nice, which, you know, some people got blessings from the miracle, like good things in the first game. Blasphemous 2, everyone's having a hard time, I think. Yeah, they they mention it in, I think, one of the lore items, something along the lines of, like, once the miracle kind of came back, it seemed like there was no longer blessings. There was only punishments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like like you said, everybody was pretty much just getting messed up the whole time. Yeah. Um, in, in between Blasphemous 1 and 2, the miracle was gone for a while. So there was a, uh, a period of time like with no influence from the miracle. Um, but life still sucked. Uh, so people turned to prayer once again. <laughs> and it's kind of like that idea of... Um, you know, acknowledging a God or praying to a God then gives that God power. So now the miracle is back. And crucially, there is a giant heart hanging above the uh, the main city in the game here. And inside that heart is a child that the miracle is going to give birth to. So child. <laughs> yeah, in air quotes, child. Um, and if you're listening to this and being like, that sounds bad, the child of the miracle that's fucking up everybody's life. Yeah, you'd probably be correct. So that is kind of like the inciting event for like what's going on in the world in Blasphemous 2 at the beginning of the game. Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's clearly stated anywhere, and this is probably some influence from listening to like a lore video, but it's like been era since like, like they use the term like a whole era. So like mm-hmm. thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. They they never say exactly, but like you do see some locations that you were familiar with in the first game, and it looks like it's been a long time. Yeah. So then uh, the miracle comes back with a vengeance, 1980 <laughs> style, and just starts screwing people up in the most interesting ways it can. This yep. one definitely had some some weird some definitely some weirder stuff i think than the last one last one was a little more gruesome this one got a little bit weird yeah yeah there were definitely especially with the npcs that you meet um there were multiple times that i walked into a room with an npc and i was like what the fuck is happening with them dear lord yeah <laughs> what <laughs> what is going on here like before it was just like ah well you know he's real bloody and he's got a stake through his heart and he keeps picking at it or something and yeah. this one, you're just like, I don't even, I don't know what to explain what's yeah, going there's, on. Nothing can explain. Yeah, the first game, it was like, you know, gonna go into this room and there's a woman there. She's got a bunch of swords piercing her chest. That, yeah. that's, that's fine. Uh, in this game, there's like, you walk into a room and there's a guy whose uh, his body seems like it's full of honey. And there's honey coming out of or- every mm-hmm. orifice that he has. And you're like, yeah. what? So maybe not as gruesome, but just odd strange yeah, like exactly. why is this man a, a honeypot why did you yeah. turn a man into a honeypot <laughs> yeah it's the uh the prayer that he asked for again whatever the monkey's paw situation was uh, that led to that yeah so during the period like between the two games the penitent one who is the the protagonist in the first game 
um, a sworn to silence because of like the brotherhood that he was a part of. The penitent one was dead, but now the penitent one has been resurrected now that the miracle's back. And so the beginning of the game, there's a uh, actually a fully animated cutscene, which is a, a change from the first game, where two followers of the miracle walk into this throne room. They look like the penitent one, but they look more fancy. Yeah. <laughs> um, the penitent one is the the one from the cover that has like this giant cone shaped helmet on face and body are all painted silver and stuff like that. Uh, these are like fancy penitent ones. Uh, one of them's wearing gold and immediately stabs themselves through the chest with a sword. And then the other one goes and sits on the throne and says, they'll wait for your meeting. So then the penitent one is resurrected. You see the penitent one rising out of its coffin and off you go. You, you, this isn't a game where someone's going to like, you know, tell you right at the beginning what's going on. For you get out of a coffin, you, you walk to the right, and then eventually you'll meet a character that kind of gives you your goals for the game. So that's where we're going to kind of stop. We'll talk a little bit about how the structure of the game works in the gameplay section. But that is like the story introduction for Blasphemous 2. And kind of like I said in the the PSA about the spoiler policy for this episode... I played this entire game, loved the experience, couldn't really tell you what was going on with the story until the final boss. Uh, then I like got some answers about like, oh, okay, I, these are who these people are. This is what's going on. Or sorry, the final two bosses. And then the ending that I got, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's what happens because of this setup. But the 16 and a half hours in between those, I did not really take in much story. So like I said, I don't have like a background in any of the things that this game is drawing from. So I don't really experience this as like a story where I'm uncovering the plot uh, as I go. I just, it's little like bits of flavor for me as I'm playing, which is fine. Um, and the people who do want to do that digging or do have that, you know, maybe a Catholic background or knowledge of uh, Spanish culture more so than me, maybe you'll get more out of it than I personally did. Chris, when you're playing, do you take, do you make connections with the story at all? Um, this one I felt like maybe had a little bit more than the first game because of that. Those first three kind of read like a messed up uh, version of the uh, the uh, immaculate conception and birth and stuff. Because mm -hmm. you talk, there's the two characters, and like in between each, like basically boss fight. You get like a, a little, it's kind of just like a cutaway that gives you like, and they, these two people wanted a kid and the miracle gave it to them. And, <laughs> and then they, the people heard about it and they came and then, but then in like a messed up way, the miracle does what it always does and monkey paws them pretty much like you said. So uh -huh. there was a little <laughs> bit more that I could follow there and then, yeah, it after that you kind of got to get into the, like the dark souls style lore reading like what each yeah, yeah. individual penitent right. in which that I, group which I don't do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do a lot of that. Like I'm like you I'll 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 catch a YouTube video after I beat it. I think honestly that was 15 minutes after I finished the game. I was like, "All right, let's see what was going on." Yep. <laughs> That's kind of how I experience them too. So just to give everyone that kind of story set up here, because I, I do think that like the world 
and like the concept of the miracle and how the miracle interacts with all the people in Custodia is really interesting. It's just like, that's as deep as my understanding of the story can go. Uh, just cause you know, again, I don't have that background and I also, am, I'm not the kind of person who plays these games and like really digs, digs, digs in all those item descriptions and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like I said, I mean, I think that's, um, where it does like pull from like the souls born kind of, it just sets up a, an aesthetic of this kind of like, you know, these, this hyper-religious city and the people who are continuously devout yet have no real reason to be because mm-hmm. nothing ever seems to go their way. Yeah. So, and you just kind of go with that the whole time, like that everybody's in kind of constant pain and penance and a lot of those probably like you said, ideals in like a cath- Catholic Catholicism, which I did not grow up in. So mm-hmm. that aesthetic kind of just, permeates the entire game so you don't really have to know exactly know what's going on beat to beat to understand that you know just the miracle do bad to people (laughs) and and like you said like no matter what's going on the people in the game their lives are terrible but it seems to only drive them more toward the miracle so uh, no matter how bad the miracle fucks up their lives like the worse it gets, the more they pray to the miracle uh, for help. So, yeah, it's it's everyone's having a real bad time, and that's kind of like the <laughs> the story that that I take from it. It's just a parade of people having a bad time. So I think that the Game Kitchen is sneakily one of the best studios out there now for evocative pixel art and music. So I think it's a good opportunity to talk about how this game looks and how it sounds. Uh, Starting with how it looks, I mentioned before the beginning of the game starts with this fully animated cutscene. And there are lots throughout the game of these, you know, fully animated cutscenes. This is different from the first game where... Uh, basically, things were just told in the regular pixel art and stuff, um, but they must have had the budget for this. So, what did you think? Uh, it was pretty great because um, I think in the final DLC of the first game, they had like an animated kind of like ending, mm-hmm. and that was like their first like foray. So they did a lot more of that in yeah. this game, and I and I think it helps the it helps the story besides just being like looking really cool because you can kind of I don't know get more what's going on specifically with like the penitent one because I, I in the, the first game you basically you, you get a setup of like you're this guy in a pile of dead bodies and then yeah. you just kind of go this first one this one kind of gives you an idea of like hey some stuff's been going on and like and I guess I don't know anyone who would play the second game without playing the first one, but you're seeing some, like, stuff that may kind of 
harken back to the first game, kind of giving you a little bit of a transition. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it helps there. And like you said, it visually, it's just, it's, it's really good, fun, cool animation, like mm-hmm. gruesome, like the rest of the game, but with a, a smoother veneer over it. Yeah. I, I kind of got the feeling when I was playing and like, especially watching these animated cutscenes. like, First, I was like, oh, I would watch this show. If they made this mm-hmm. like a show of Blasphemous, I was like, I'd watch that. But then I started to think like, well, the Penitent One doesn't talk. And <laughs> a lot of what you're doing is just killing stuff. So maybe instead of a full show, I would like like five minute action clips on YouTube of the Penitent One just like killing monsters or fighting bosses or something. Yeah. But it's it's very like... Everything else, everything that's happening in the game is super gory and brutal. So the animation is kind of like that, too. It's really cool. I like it. Yeah, there's lots of skulls popping out of stuff and blood spurting. And- <laughs> yeah. The game itself has really, really, really great pixel art. Um, that was something about the first game, too. Some of my favorite um, like backgrounds in the levels that you're going through. Uh, enemy designs are really great. Um, the NPCs, something they do with the NPCs that you meet is most of them are much, much bigger than you. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's to show status or just to make them bigger so you can see how fucked up they are uh, with more clarity. But it's a great choice because, like I said before, all of them are having the ba- having the worst time ever. And um, the way that their characters are designed uh, really shows this. And just everything about the visuals in both Blasphemous games, but this one too um, is really great. It's some of the best pixel art out there. Hats off to uh, the art team at the Game Kitchen. Yeah, it's um, one of the visually the best looking pixel art games that I've played. Nothing ever come becomes just like a blob of pixels. Nothing. Everything is very clear. This is what they were trying to get across. Mm-hmm. Like even if it's like this horrendous creature that is like some kind of amalgamation of a bird and a man and a with a cross on its back or whatever you can pick those things out and be like oh this is what is what they're trying to express so they do it they do an excellent job with that a continued excellent job i think they did a great job with the first one and they just continued to knock it out of the park with that yep one uh one other thing that i think is really cool about the visuals uh, they continued this from the first game, but when you're fighting a boss and you get the killing blow on them, it like freeze frames on this. The screen goes all red and then like a silhouette of your character and the boss and your weapon just frozen on that killing blow, which mm-hmm. if you've been having trouble with a boss and it's like, you know, attempt number five, 10, 15, and you finally get that killing blow, it's a yeah. nice moment. You can just be like, fuck yes. Got it. You're keeping your eyes on the boss and less on the bar and you're like... You finally get that last hit. You don't have to look down at the bar just because it does that flash screen. You're like, Mm -hmm. you get excited. Yep. It's awesome. It's a nice touch. That They do that similar with your death, kind of like you go, it's always kind of the same animation. You go like into the air and kind of like starfish out and then like it like (laughs) flashes like a blue almost or like a green, Mm. bluish green kind of color. And then you fade and... uh, to there's the safe points you know it's it's video game so yeah you get to start over again did you play with voice acting in english or spanish 
I I didn't follow your advice again. I did it in English. <laughs> I should have done it in Spanish because last time, mostly just to hear penitente, penitente a few times. Yeah. So was the English voice acting good? Definitely on par with um, the last game, on par with um, most like independent gaming you know, if you're not getting the huge big name actors in there, I mean, even then, mm-hmm. like uh, the final boss, I, I we'll we'll talk about it later. But his yeah. his little speech is over the top and very like it sounds like a like a preacher or someone going up there and mm. you know enunciating all of my words and pausing for effect <laughs> nice. because <laughs> I am the penitent. One. Yeah. <laughs> and you're just, you're kind of like, all right. And after the fourth time that he's kicked your ass, you're just tired of hearing him. Yep. Yep. Um, I did play with the Spanish voice acting. Anyone listening, you know, again, I recommend playing with the Spanish voice acting. Read the subtitles. You'll be fine. I think the Spanish voice acting is worth it. It's interesting. So like if a game is clearly set in a real place or a place that's like very much inspired by a real country, I will try to play with like the native voice voice acting. So I play Yakuza games with Japanese voice acting. It's not that I want to learn how to play ja- or learn how to speak Japanese or anything. I just think it fits really well. And Yakuza games have the best fucking voice acting in Japanese anyway. Um, the Spanish voice acting here fits super, super well with everything that's going on with the, all of the other things that they've taken from like Spanish architecture and iconography and stuff like that. But the way it's directed, everybody is giving like the most serious and most, um, you know, they're giving 110%. It's it's really great. Fun fact, in this game, one of the Spanish voice actors is Humberto Velez, who did the Spanish voice acting for Homer Simpson for the first 15 years of the show. So (laughs) that's that's pretty cool. That's star talent. Yeah. That's awesome. Homer Simpson level guy. Now I'm trying to think back to these characters well i guess i listened to it in english so i wouldn't know would i right unless the guy in english tried to do a homer simpson accent which which would be funny and very very out of place (laughs) but yeah the voice acting is great across the board Uh, music is also fantastic once again done by carlos viola who i believe did the music for the first one think about like music completely setting the tone from the very beginning of a game uh, setting the atmosphere. This is that kind of soundtrack. Uh, it's not one that has a bunch of melodies that I will like walk around the house humming to myself, but all the music fits in the background or, you know, during boss fights when it gets more intense, it's perfect for like the kind of vibe they're going for in Blasphemous. Yeah. Um, I've made a point to uh, start listening a little bit more. And this is not just with blasphemous but since starting just kind of listening to your podcast because you focus on the music for like a not the whole thing but like you give a full section to what like the music is so you have like a really uh kind of deep caring and you you are obviously passionate about that part of stuff and it was something that i never unless it was like like you said some kind of like catchy melody uh it's not something i normally pick up on for games half the time i'm actually playing a game like in bed uh, next to uh, my girlfriend and I'm keeping the volume low and I don't throw headphones in. But mm-hmm. I made sure this time to listen with headphones in and when I could listen with the volume up on my Switch. And yeah, like the 
the guitar work, the kind of just haunting tone of everything. Like it's all very, mm-hmm. I don't want to say creepy. It's more church music-y kind of just like you get that kind of like haunting feeling. This kind of like should be played with organs and um, in a empty room with pews and <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah. Some of it does get into, um, I mean, there are some tracks that are like really organ based. And Mm -hmm. um, a lot of those tracks actually sound like Castlevania music to me, which makes a lot of sense uh, for both games to have that kind of uh, music. But when I think blasphemous music, I think of like stuff that's, you know, heavy acoustic guitar based, like, Mm -hmm. you know, rapid strumming acoustic guitar in the background. And then maybe like a, a light melody on a piano or like some violins over the top. And like you said, like kind of that spooky kind of ethereal atmospheric tones that are moving in the background. Like, I don't even know what instrument that would be like a heavily, you know, modified keyboard or something like that. But it's just giving you like a background, almost like, like the, the background in like a silent hill track or something like that. It's actually, I think, I think it's a kazoo. <laughs> it's yeah. They got the, uh, the <laughs> they got the Barcelona recorder uh, orchestra <laughs> to come in and lay down those background uh, those chords. background yeah. tones. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's it's great though. It's it's really great, and um, I also appreciate as a, a bass guitar player. Um, I appreciate a lot of these songs have very prominent bass lines that are kind of driving the like the tempo of the song. If there's you know something very atmospheric going on in the rest of the arrangement, the bass guitar is, is pulling you forward with like that urgency, you know, the miracles can have a fucking kid, get on, get a move on. Yeah. That's the, the, the more Castlevania ones that I kind of hear like the, you definitely get those like more thumping bass lines and kind of stuff like that. Like in the Castlevania, the, the melodic kind of, I don't know, pop jazzy kind of sound. And then like I said, well, we, we discussed on, Another episode, one of my favorite parts of like Mega Man X's soundtrack is just some of those thump and bass lines. So it's like very harkens back to that kind of Super Nintendo era that they, I guess, are somewhat trying to emulate here a little bit. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure they've got inspiration from there for sure. But yeah, just kind of all around, like, again, music, fantastic in every Game Kitchen game I've played. This is the third one now. Visuals are always incredible for what they're setting out to make. I just think that aesthetically, like artistically, this studio is is just fantastic. Sound effects are also worth mentioning. They're great. You know, you're slicing, dicing, smashing, eviscerating your way through all of these monsters and everything sounds squishy and execution attacks sound real gruesome. Uh, mm-hmm. That's great. Lots of good guttural noises. Yeah. <laughs> like the enemies, the sounds they make and stuff. Good stuff. And they also have a really good, like, walking into a new area, kind of like tone that sounds like a bell ringing that signifies uh, like yeah. you've begun a new area. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know that a lot of games do stuff like that, but it's something I know obviously from playing Dark Souls and it feels like they kind of took that as a cool way, like you've made it, you've made it into a new area. Here's this cool tone to signify it, but it works. Yeah. When you enter a new area, does the title pop up? It does. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
And I, does that, I don't remember, is that every time or just when you enter it? Uh, every you, time. Yep. Okay. So, like I said, uh, I did do a little bit of like, uh, guide using to kind of catch up like a, some of that, that 98% or whatever that I got. And I remember bouncing around a lot between save points and yeah, getting that kind of dong, dong, dong. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Anything else about the, um, music, visuals, etc.? We did kind of mention, I don't know if we mentioned or not earlier, kind of the executions being a little bit more toned down this time. Or not toned down, just there's less of them. Mm-hmm. Like, and maybe that's because they were using, or they had more play style with the different weapons to utilize, so they weren't going to be able to make, you know, a new execution on each enemy for every weapon and that kind of thing. So there's a lot of them that he just kind of squishes with vines. Yep. Yeah, I I definitely noticed that. It's it's kind of a bummer cuz those executions were all like bespoke. Like this enemy gets killed this way. This one, you know, you 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 grab their sword and you cut them in half. And then the mm-hmm. next one, it's a big dude in a helmet and you kind of smash him into the ground. Yeah. And yeah, in Blasphemous 2, there's just way fewer of those animations, but like you said, I think it is because there's three different weapons and that, you know, that may require them to make three times the amount of animations for those things. And there's like, yeah, we just, we got to focus somewhere else, you know, yeah. we're not, they're not rock stars. So yeah, I said they don't got, they don't have the huge budget, but the main execution, he kind of just, he uses his hand. He doesn't even really use a weapon. He just like sprouts vines down yeah. into the ground and grabs something and then just squeezes it to death like it, en- it entombs it in vines i was never clear on where those vines are coming from or why it's there um i don't know if it's something to do with the tree from the, f- the end of the first game or something like that i thought that's what it was because the, the 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 sword in the original one had like thorns and i don't know if that like mm. just imprinted on his hand or something i don't know yeah Another one for the um, the YouTube lore masters. Yeah, exactly. They can they can explain why the penitent one has a wooden hand. Kind of along the lines of uh, talking about those executions, let's talk about the gameplay in Blasphemous 2. This is side-scrolling 2D action. The developers stated that one of their goals for Blasphemous 2 is to make it into more of a classic-style Metroidvania, which the first game was very much a Metroidvania. Just like didn't have some of those like you know A plus Metroidvania design design decisions that I mm-hmm. think you know games like Hollow Knight have. So they made it a point to improve that part of the game. And I really think they did. Like, this is one of the biggest wins as far as this game goes, especially over the first game, is, again, all of those things that people said were not great about the first game, they have basically just fixed them across the board. Yeah, the the idea of an item being a key that basically, you know, either builds a platform or opens a door 
yeah kind of went out the window they they had three weapons to play with and all, all of them tied to some kind of either direct like kind of interaction with platforming or having to puzzle solve with them yeah. so you know that's definitely that's like like you talked about a plus metroid design if you can integrate uh an item that you'd use for fighting into the puzzle solving into the um platforming and they all just kind of mesh into one that's that's exactly what you needed to do to make it more of a metroid exactly than a vania i guess yeah so like you said at the beginning of the game uh, you have three weapons to pick from uh they're called veredicto which is a big bonk mace flail uh, that has fire abilities you have uh sarmiento y centea centea um, remembering my Spanish pronunciation, hopefully, uh, which is a dual wielded like sword and rapier combo or like dagger and rapier combo that has uh, lightning powers. And then the third weapon is called Ruego al Alba. And it's a serrated kind of like, you know, cutting weapon. It, lo- it looks like a bloodborne weapon uh, with yeah. blood magic. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. And uh, like Chris said, all of them are your weapons, but they all also double as like, platforming movement abilities or uh, giving you extra combat abilities that affect platforming and puzzle solving as well. So the structure of the game is set up where you pick your weapon at the beginning and then that weapon's unique platforming ability will let you go in one of three directions where you'll find a boss and you'll find a second weapon. And then you can go in that direction for that weapon until you have all three which then kind of unlocks the second half of the game. So the first half and the second half to some degree are non-linear. They're linear based on what weapon you pick. But from a game design perspective, they don't know which weapon you're going to pick. So all three of them are kind of like equal in difficulty, I think. So it lets you pick the weapon you want and then roll with it until you have all three. What did you think of this like general structure of like letting you pick and then like kind of tailoring your experience around that. I think it's a kind of great way to, um, like I said, um, I don't want gatekeep's got a different term nowadays, <laughs> but it, it's a good way to separate out progression in the game without it feeling too much like handholding and, and path like guiding you. Cause I don't think I found, cause I picked, um, the sword Elber or whatever Ruego al alba al alba yeah yeah um i picked that one as my first one and because it kind of read a little bit like the uh just the like the all-arounder um mm. like your middle of the road kind of weapon but i don't think i found the path that that one specifically went to until i literally found all the other i was like well i can't go any further i don't know what this is mm-hmm. so then i moved to another and i'm like well i can't go any further i don't know what this is then i got to the last one i'm like oh this is where I can progress. So I definitely didn't feel handheld at all. Like I explored as much of the map as I could until I found the area that could move me along to the next one. And to me, I enjoyed that. Maybe somebody else would be like, well, I just wasted my time going to all these other places. But that's that's the Metroidvania kind of like formula, right? Exploring until you can't explore anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I dug it too. I I liked how 
like you said, they they kind of just set you free. They they tell you like what general direction you should look for all the bosses in, but they don't tell you which one that you should go to first. So you're free to explore until you hit a dead end and then go somewhere else. And I like that too. I like the freedom to kind of make my own decision about like, I don't think I'm supposed to be here yet. Let's go back and let's try that other path that I saw. So mm -hmm. that was good. All of the other things that you pick up in the game, the big upgrade abilities, um, the classics, the double jump, air dash, uh, you have like a sliding move on the ground and stuff. Uh, all of those have, you know, utility in platforming, but also uh, are all pretty great in combat too. Mm -hmm. And I'd go so far as to say like essential for a lot of them in the second half of the game. Yeah. Your weapon choice also has combat ramifications because let's say the the big flail weapon veredicto can't block uh so you can't do the block and parry which was like integral to the first game in this game you're kind of like you're picking a weapon that you want to use like a move set that you want to use but they all play pretty differently so like the one that i picked i picked veredicto you can't block but you do have like a big swing um arc and if you line it up right, you hit enemies twice on the spring or on the swing. So it's a big help in combat. I like basically used it the entire game, even after I found the other ones. Yeah. And that one, like I said, kind of makes up for the inability to block by giving you like distance. Yeah. You have it like it's on a on a flail. You've got a little bit more wide arc. And then Al Alba, the, the sword, definitely like up close. And, like, the mechanic for that is you actually give up uh, life to make it stronger and hit harder. So that's kind of like you're messing around with your health. I think, yeah, Veredicto was the, was your, uh, what, what do they call magic in this game? Oh, good question. Fates or whatever? Yeah, it's not miracles. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember. But anyway, you, you, your, your magic meter gets ate up by Veredicto when it's on fire. And then the, the the little sword and dagger was more of a, you had to do more hits to build up to get powerful. So it was mm -hmm. kind of, you could play with all these different mechanics, like sucking up your magic and then you don't have room to do, you know, spells. Or you have to get close and do a lot of hits before you become powerful because it's a, it's a weak but fast weapon. Yep. And then other one, give up health and you'll be more powerful. So it's yep. like they definitely gave you a lot more options, obviously, than the first game it just from the get-go. But even the mechanics inside of those options can kind of play a, a completely different game. Yeah. Before we dive like headfirst into combat, I do want to mention um, a couple of big improvements from the first game that, you know, as far as platforming and explore exploration goes, the instant death spikes that so yeah. many people complained about from the first game are gone. Uh, there are still mm -hmm. spikes, but if you fall in them, it just takes some of your health and then respawns you on the last like solid ground that you were on, mm -hmm. uh, which is good because uh, there's a lot of platforming, especially later in the game. Um, a lot of the platforming does involve like, you know, those spikes or bottomless pits underneath you. And those are not instant death anymore. In the first Blasphemous game, I remember talking about how like it didn't bother me that they were instant death. I didn't have a lot of trouble with them, but I didn't, I'm not mad that they're not in this game. Like, yeah, obviously I'm, I'm not upset about them being gone. So I know a lot of people complained about those and, um, 
I think one of the biggest flaws with Blasphemous 1 was that exploring was not often rewarded with cool stuff. Uh, a lot of times you picked up like Kickstarter backer items, like the, mm-hmm. you know, the the fibula of Chris Nelson, and it just yeah. like, t- told a story or something like that. Yeah. But you couldn't use it for anything. And that's not in Blasphemous 2, all the treasures re- replaced by like those marks of martyrdom that you can use to upgrade your weapons or rosary beads or little statuettes that you can customize your character with. So just flat improvements. Yeah, because you can kind of customize or, uh, with those statuettes around the build that you're doing because a yeah. lot of them will directly affect whatever weapon you prefer or things like that. So mm-hmm. it gave a lot of more, the term gets thrown around a lot, but give you more RPG um, light <laughs> kind of, you know, character building yeah so again all those points of criticism from the first game i think have just been smoothed out in a really expert way good stuff So getting into combat for Blasphemous 2, the combat is slow and methodical. A lot of times you can kind of stun lock regular small enemies and not really worry about what they're doing. But for larger threats, mini bosses, and of course boss fights, this is one of those games where you have to really take your time, watch what the enemies are doing and react to them instead of like going balls to the wall, like no regard for your own health because it is a game that like, I don't think it's punishingly hard most of the time, but it is a game where you have to pay attention and kind of be responsible, I guess. Yeah, there was a uh, there was moments because I, I kind of like main the the blood sword, and there was moments when I did get a little bit too zealous because that weapon kind of rewards that a little because it's like a, a timed meter. Yeah, but if you continue to hit with it, you're like blood packed like kind of just keeps going so mm-hmm. being more aggressive with that weapon benefits you but it flies a little bit in the face of some of specifically the bosses like you have to wait for your moments and just getting face to face with them is not always going to be your your best uh your best option yeah you want to wait them out you want to wait for their patterns you want to like i said it's a little bit more puzzle solvey than it is just uh get in there and tank and do as much damage as you can. Yeah. And with um, Veredicto, the weapon I was using, I think that plays into the speed of the combat because I was Mm -hmm. always keeping a distance with enemies. You know, it lining it up right gives you two hits on one swing. So again, I'm I'm keeping that distance, uh, usually jumping over enemies or like sliding past them whenever you can to like, maybe they're charging at me. So then I will go the other way get that distance again, swing. So it definitely rewards that. Did you find this game to be like that difficult? I don't even want to like talk about 
because people say that these are souls likes and i i don't really think so they took a couple of things but this doesn't strike me as like we're making 2d dark souls that's not what this is so what i don't know what do you think like you know you you played some castlevanias and some other 2d you're you're a big metroidvania fan so where do you think this falls on the difficulty spectrum um somewhere in the castlevania realm you've got a lot of uh first try i guess maybe like post symphony of the night castlevania you got a lot of bosses you're never you're not going to beat first try just because they're going to do something halfway through the fight that is a completely different pattern that you didn't expect mm-hmm. and it's going to take you off track and you're not going to one shot these bosses then maybe i don't know, maybe there's people out there who can but the idea of learning the boss and like i said it's more like puzzle solving unless uh you know, this tactic works on every boss. If you're going to, you know, there's a supreme tactic, you know, they say the Souls games are kind of that way, you know, get up, get up underneath their crotch and swing at it and roll. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's going to, that's going to win you most of your fights. So, um, this one, you definitely have to be paying attention to the patterns, paying attention to their tells, like, you know, their, their wind ups, that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. so it's definitely, I try to think of this like my dad, who plays some video games but not a lot, would watch me play this and say, "Well, that, this game's cheating. It doesn't know it, or it 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 knew you were gonna do that, or it knew this, and it, it's gonna beat <laughs> it, it. It would beat you anyway. Like it, it's cheating. This game cheats. It knows what's going on." And I'm like, "Well, no, you just gotta you gotta find the pattern, learn it, beat your head against it for a while, and eventually you'll you'll learn what you need to do to win the fight." Yeah. So. I'd put that, I guess, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, it's probably harder than, I'm trying to think of some games. I think there's definitely, Hollow Knight has some much harder bosses. Oh, Hollow Knight's much harder than this yeah. game, straight up, yeah. And, um, but I'm trying to think of something kind of in the middle somewhere, I don't know. I feel like Metroid isn't a great one, because it's like... Because <laughs> Metroid bosses are dog shit? Yeah. <laughs> I, I would put this... Maybe compare it to Metroid Dread. Like Metroid yeah. Dread had some hard bosses, but a lot of them were fine once you once you learned them. I mm-hmm. actually think Metroid Dread's probably harder than this now that I think about it. Um, I think Castlevania is a good kind of yeah. touchstone. Like you'll beat a lot of bosses on the first try, the second or third try, something yeah. like that. Maybe there's a boss late in the game that takes you like ten tries or more, and there was one in this game that mm-hmm. took me a lot. Uh, but in that boss late in the game, even the one that was really hard, that was really kicking my ass, there was a steady progression of like, the first time I had no idea. And then the second time I was like, okay, I think I can dodge that move. Because again, I'm playing with the weapon where you can't block. So it's all dodging for me. Mm -hmm. And then the next time I'm like, okay, I can dodge that move every time now. Now, the next move, okay, I think I've got it. And then by the time I finally beat it, I was like grinning to myself. Or I was like, this thing can't touch me. I, I know exactly how to beat this. And so uh, I don't, that's not why I play difficult games. I Like that's not what I live for. But when it does happen like that, it's really cool. And, you know, I did get there in this game. So they are all designed in a fair way, I think. There's no bullshit from these bosses. No, and they um they vary enough to where each one was fun in a way that was like I said it was diff- it was fun because it was difficult 
but none of them felt exactly exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I had a lot of comparisons to the first game. I'm like, oh, this is like that fight. And other, like, Castlevanias and Metroidvanias, you're like, oh, yeah, this is similar to, you know, that. Like, I think in the first game, I compared the one guy in the room to, like, a Mega Man boss. And um, I didn't get any of those in this one. But, like, there's some stuff that if you've played in this genre a lot, you're going to be like, okay, this is this type of boss or it's this kind of fight. So yeah. if you're if you're steeped in this culture, just to put it in probably the <laughs> dickheadiest way I could, the game doesn't feel terribly difficult. Yeah. I couldn't throw this at my dad and expect him to get anywhere. Right. But for people who play a lot of games like this, 2D mm-hmm. action games, uh, I don't think this is a super punishing one. No. Um, ex- with the exception of that one boss, and then again, even with that one, I did end up seeing the Matrix and kind of acing at the time that I did beat it, which is cool. Um, we talked about it at the beginning, but it's it's fair to bring up again. The boss fights themselves feel like a little less imaginative than the first game. We we've been talking about it off off air, as they say. <laughs> um, it where it really feels like they just they used all their best ideas for bosses, especially designs for bosses in the first game and then they're like well we're making a second one we already used the lady with you know the hole in her skull where you have to smack the exposed brain we already used her uh we already used the uh skeleton priest that's held up by the bunch of hairy arms and stuff like that skeleton pope yeah skeleton pope we already used skeleton pope so now we got to come up with other stuff and the bosses are still cool to look at but there weren't there weren't as many in Blasphemous 2, where again, when the fight starts and I go, oh, 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 oh what is that? There's a lot of just kind of dudes. Yeah, you're fighting like, a lot of just dudes. Just dudes. And, and ladies. Yeah, and ladies. Ladies and dudes. Slightly taller ladies and dudes. <laughs> yeah. Ladies and dudes with various weapons. Yeah. Yeah. Just ladies and dudes. Less, less of kind of abysmal creatures from some realm unknown. Mm-hmm. Got no babies that are uh, being carried around by a snake creature. Yep. Yeah, and no giant snakes like yeah. in the first game in mm-hmm. the DLC. Um, yeah, it's it's still cool. Like again, Catholic inspired horror for boss mm-hmm. fights, but it's just not as memorable. We'll say that's a good way to put it. Yeah, not as memorable. Um, little kind of like miscellaneous combat stuff. You have a couple types of magic that you can use. And again, this all goes toward like building the type of, you know, combat style that you want to use. You have two types in this game. You have like quick magic that you can throw out real fast, probably doesn't do a ton of damage, but it also might. The one I was using was fucking great. Uh, you have other magic spells and they're, they're mapped to two different inputs. Um, the other ones you have to charge up for a little bit and they do a big, um, you know, a big thing, or maybe they'll take you home or, uh, to like the city or, you know, I like the one they call down a lightning storm for that quick spell thing. I liked the, uh, the blood boomerang. Oh yeah. It was really great. So you get a lot of them though. So you can experiment, you can, you know, choose the stuff that fits the style you want to play with. I, picked a couple that I liked and used them the entire game, but that's kind of how I play these games anyway. You know, why mess with what's been carrying me basically? Yeah. I messed around with a, um, there was a blood boom, the blood boomerang. Cause that's like the 
first one you get, I think, if I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. And uh, the one that kind of is the well, only one from the first game. Because I think everything else was kind of more the big, like, room clearers in the first game. You in had the less, first game, yeah. Yeah. So I used the Blood Boomerang, and then there was one that was like uh, four little, like, green daggers you would throw, and then it would home in on uh, an enemy. Nice. So, um, and then, yeah, with the big guys, I mostly used the, I think it was another one kind of from the first game. You made like a big old holy pillar kind of just around yourself. Mm-hmm. And then the, the send me back to the city. That was mo- probably in my, in my charged one for most of the game. Yeah. Um, I think the lightning storm one that I used was probably in the first game also. Yeah. It's just, it's real good. Mm-hmm. So, you know, why mess with success? The other thing is we mentioned those execution moves, but um, I think that how it works is enemies have a hidden posture bar, and if you parry them enough or hit them enough with heavy stuff, like with the big mace weapon, most of the time I would kill an enemy before their posture would break, but sometimes with bigger enemies, their posture would break. They'll go into like this kind of downed state, mm-hmm. and you can go up and press a button and do this brutal execution finishing move. Yeah. Like we said there's a lot less variety to them, but doing them is still cool, uh, especially if it's an enemy that's been giving you trouble, like those those big dudes with the big like bronze helmets on that kind of yeah. stone helmets that yeah they charge you and they can like pin you up against walls. So a mm-hmm. uh, little bit of um, vitriol when I'm taking them down mm-hmm. sometimes. One of my favorites was uh, and there's like four flavors of them and they all shoot some different kind of. Th- colored fire at you and they're like they're like in a stock almost like a singular stock and they've kind of got their face through this piece of wood and when you can like you stun them it like pauses them and they start choking on their their fire i guess and you basically jump on top of them slam their piece of wood down and then just like step on their head yep from like 10 feet in the air yeah the big enemies seem like they have their own kind of because those are like bigger than the average dudes Mm-hmm. Um, the bigger enemies, maybe they have more kind of bespoke execution animations. Um, but a lot of the smaller ones, you kind of just like slam your, your wood hand into the ground and vines come up and just kind of squeeze the enemy to death, which I'm saying that like, it's not cool. I know yeah. you just <laughs> gotta cool. do that. Whatever. Yeah, it's no kind of lame. Just kind of all my, my thorns are smashing enemies to death. Thorn hand, whatever. Last, <laughs> so last year. Yeah. But man, from a from a gameplay perspective, this game was uh, just, it was a treat. Like I said, I got to 97% map completion, which is higher than the first game. Um, it's higher than I ever got to in Hollow Knight, which is, you know, my gold standard for this kind of game. It's just a pleasure to run around, fight stuff, do these, you know, these brutal moves, find treasures. They're all really rewarding. Um, I think that's why I got to 97%. Um, if I checked a guide at, at any point between the time I finished it and now, I could have gotten 100% just to find those three rooms that I was missing, probably. But yeah, I didn't get around to it. But d- that's, you know, all this to say, from a gameplay perspective, Blasphemous 2 is about as, about as good as it gets in the genre for me personally. I had a great time. Yeah, and like I said, we, we've kind of talked about, like, a total improvement over the first game, but just, like, if it, as a standalone, yeah, it's it's just a great Metroidvania, like, plain and simple. Yeah. Like, all the way around, fun to play, 
fun to uh, explore. Combat's fun. You don't ever feel fully like you're being 100% punished for either missing something or having to explore. The exploring feels a lot more kind of fun. I don't know if Penitent one's any faster in this game, but I, I never felt like I was doing those long kind of like drug out like runs from one area to the other. But maybe that's because there's more save points. Mm-hmm. I think I think you had mentioned that. Yeah, they did feel a bit friendlier with the save points, but I don't know. I played the first game after they added more save points into it with like an update. And then this one felt fine. You know, I didn't, um, sometimes I felt like, you know, from the fast travel room to the place I was trying to get to was a little bit too far. But as far as the save points go, it was fine. Like even if it's like five screens away or something like that, it doesn't take that long to, to get there. No, especially once you're near the end with all your um, movement upgrades and everything, you can get around pretty quick. Yeah, yeah. So, who would you say that you recommend play Blasphemous to? Metroidvania fans who are looking for a game steeped in its aesthetic. Yeah. Because you're not going to get a whole bunch of story, um, which kind of harkens back to old Metroid. You're going to fight bosses three, four times. You're going to learn their patterns. And it's gonna, it feels rewarding when you do do that. So, if you're looking for a challenge, but not, I don't know, I hate using it all the time, but not the hardest Dark Souls levels of challenge, then this one's definitely, definitely, I feel a little bit more uh, friendly to a, uh, maybe a, a more casual gamer. Maybe I could maybe I could recommend Blasphemous as somebody's first Metroidvania. I feel like, yeah, I think so. Like, I don't think I'd throw someone in Hollow Knight as their first Metroidvania. Yeah, maybe not Hollow Knight, but Blasphemous Two especially because again they got rid of some of those instant kill platforming mm-hmm. things. Yeah, it, it wouldn't be bad for that. And I guess we've we've kind of like danced around it, but uh, haven't directly answered like. The question, do you need to play Blasphemous 1 before 2? And I think, like, you might connect with the situation of, like, where the story is and what's happening at the beginning. But from, like, you know, this isn't a game where it's, like, it's going to start and you're like, I don't know who any of these people are. I don't understand. Like, they kind of explain what you need to know. And it's not like the first game has... The first game was a complete story. And now they've picked it back up so Mm -hmm. because of that like you're not picking up in the middle of something so i I think you could pick this up without playing the first one yeah there's not a whole lot of like well then this character did that and it affected how things work here it's just kind of this like like you kind of talk this and or uh all-encompassing miracle this bad thing that's happening yeah so 
for people who didn't play Blasphemous 1, uh, you could play this one first. I think you should play Blasphemous 1. It's awesome. Uh, loved it. But you could play this first. Obviously, if you liked the first Blasphemous game, this is a no-brainer. You you should play this because I think pretty much everything you liked about the first one is here, and everything you didn't like about the first one has been fixed. Uh, just going on like you know the many conversations with different people I've had about the first game. So uh, fans of Metroidvanias, this is a very good one. Um, I think all of the stuff that you like about the genre, you know, the rewarding exploration, uh, exploring off on your own in a like kind of nonlinear way, maybe running into dead ends, but trying to remember where those were. You can mark those on your map in this game too. You can, you have little pins you can drop. Um, so all of those things, all of those people, this is a no brainer. I think this is great. It's one of the best games in 2023 that I've played, uh, new releases from this year or just in general, like trying to think back, this is maybe the only, but definitely the best Metroid. No, I played several Metroid games. Yeah. This is the best Metroidvania I played this year. Pretty comfortable saying that. I'm trying to remember this year. <laughs> so a lot of easy, it was Zelda. Easy to recommend. So before we get into full spoiler time, a little bit of housekeeping here. Um, I would like to give the call for people to leave a rating and review on the podcast platform that you're listening to this episode on. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Podcast Addict, those reviews uh, or star ratings are really helpful for kind of pushing the podcast up in search results and helping people find it. Um, if you enjoy the show, it would be a big help if you could leave a rating or if you don't want to type out a review, again, just do those star ratings. Um, really helpful either way. We have a Discord server uh, full of cool people who like fun games such as Blasphemous 2. If you want to come in and talk about that game or any game or talk about movies, music, whatever else is going on in your life, come on in. There's an invite link down in the show notes. We would love to have you in there. And if you would like to support the show monetarily, you can go to patreon.com slash real Dave Jackson. That is the place where you can support that way. There's lots of different tiers that you can sign up to, lots of different rewards. Everybody who signs up at least gets the ability to vote in polls for what games come up on the show. Um, you'll get some bonus episodes every now and then. It's a good time. I also have another podcast called A Top 3 Podcast where we do top three lists, we do weird drafts. It is uh, mostly a comedy show. That is also a fun time. Um, really recommend you come check out that stuff. So Chris and I are going to take a break. And when we come back, the full spoilers begin for Blasphemous 2. Right, Chris and I are back, and it's time for spoilers for Blasphemous 2. We'll talk about our favorite NPCs, our favorite quests, boss fights, stuff like that. The ending, again, we're not going to talk about really like the plot of Blasphemous 2 or what's going on with the characters and stuff, but I do I just want to point out, like, I thought it was really cool to come across the level Mother of Mothers 
uh, which was a level from the first game. Uh, it really showed just how long it had been and how far this place has fallen into disrepair. It's like in the first game, it was like a really uh, nice, like chapel type place, and in the second one, it's like, nah, this is this is also fucked. Everything's fucked. Yeah, and if I remember right, it's the the city, the kind of hub city you're in, is right on top of it. Yeah, it's so above it's like it. they literally yeah. built the city on top of the old chapel that used to be kind of like the obviously the miracle and all the the, the super religious uh, world that, that Blasphemous is. So the mother of mothers being the biggest, most uh, opulent kind of chapel going into disrepair, and then literally just building their new city on top of it kind of yeah. speaks <laughs> to the fact that these people have, like, for however long, kind of lost their religion, as it were. Yeah, I like when you can recognize stuff from the previous game. Like, if we are continuing in the same world with some mm -hmm. of these same characters, uh, even if it's been a long time, I love to go through, like, the decayed yeah. ruins of the old place. I missed, I missed uh, what was his name? Who was your guide in the first game? Deo Gracias. Yeah, Deo Gracias. The only time you see him is he's holding your coffin and he's all turned to stone. I'm like, yeah. man, where's my boy Deo Gracias? At the beginning, yeah, he's he was, I guess, after the penitent one died, he was sworn to protect the coffin or something. So he just yeah. stayed there until he died. And now he's made of stone. Just holding the, the coffin for old Penitente. Yep. Yeah. And the coffin has a bunch of like worshippers around it too. Mm -hmm. So apparently people were happy with whatever the canonical ending for the first game was. Yeah. Cause it, I guess spoilers for the first game, <laughs> the final DLC had you going and killing God, so RPG. Yeah, JRPG, yeah. And I think that's kind of how, because you destroy the miracle, all of the things with the miracle go away, or, I don't know, there's a whole bunch of stuff, but basically the miracle goes away, and then because of that, the penitent one dies because he was resurrected by the miracle mm -hmm. for some reason to then destroy the miracle. I don't know. The world, I guess, kind of... Like I said, loses its religion. Everything else kind of with that religion goes into stasis and they just move on and realize that stuff sucks even without a vengeful god. Yep. <laughs> Speaking of stuff sucking, um, let's talk about the NPCs, memorable ones that we came across. You know, maybe not talking too much about their quests, but like, mm -hmm. I don't know. T tell me, tell me an NPC that you found to be memorable. Um, I'm gonna try to think of kind of a a more weird one, but um, he wasn't really like one of those huge ones or one of the kind of odd ones. But the guy who did the carvings for you, he made your little oh yeah um, things. He he was like a blind sculptor, and you you. You give him things to, he's building a statue of a woman. I, I don't know. They may have described exactly who it was, but mm -hmm. she's obviously some kind of important person in the, the religious iconography. And, um, eventually he basically, his penance is to make this statue and you give him all the supplies to make it and he dies. And then the statue just gets put up in the middle of the city 
And then his daughter comes to, like, basically replace him as an NPC. But they don't really... I guess... I'm assuming he dies. But they just kind of... They don't talk... Like, after it's done, he goes away. His daughter kind of says, yeah, his penance was complete. And there's, like, really no fanfare about it. He kind of just... He made the statue, and then he goes away. Interesting. Yeah, I never got to the point where you, like, get all the collectibles for Mm -hmm. it. So... Yeah, I didn't get to the point where he goes away. Yeah. That's interesting. It's kind of an interesting one. Like, maybe not not, not the weirdest one, but yeah, kind of an odd one. For a weird one, uh, there is the woman who helps you with your flask upgrades, your bio mm-hmm. flasks, who, number one, she has like a pool of blood in there and you, you can like drink from it. I was never clear on what drinking from the pool does. Yeah, I wasn't know if it was like in, you had to fill it to then upgrade or if you could do upgrades without filling it i mean i filled it every time just because it's like well button says i should push it so i push it yeah exactly she's like do you want to you know drink this this vase of my blood and i was like oh yeah i might as well yeah and then (laughs) you can do your your kind of traditional like health upgrades yeah to to top the first game's health upgrade person was was an impressive feat they they definitely i feel like they did I think in the first one, it was the dude who was growing out of that guy's chest. Yeah. Yeah, and you gave that guy, like, the the silver or mercury or something like that. Mm-hmm. They had two different NPCs. One gave you more flasks, and one made the flasks stronger. And in this yeah. game, it's the same person. Yeah. Um, but in order, I guess, because she's helping you in two different ways, uh, as you go through and slowly upgrade your flasks she gets progressively more and more skinned yeah uh, as you go the little cherubs are holding her uh at the beginning they're just kind of there and then at the end uh like after a couple they're like starting to like you know skin take the skin off of her hand and they're holding it and then like the next time it's like up to her arm and they're like just kind of flying there holding her like skin flap it's real fucking weird um and then eventually it gets to the point where it's all gone. Yeah, she's just a blood red skeleton. And I don't know if do they have her skin somewhere? Did yeah, I have t- no idea what's did going they, on. Did they take the skin and they're like doing the whole three little kids in a trench coat with it? <laughs> Trying to get into a P- <laughs> rated R movie or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah, that was uh absolutely memorable for sure. Yeah. And then uh I think the one that we're we're both we're both gonna have to mention is the uh the guy who i I guess he's taken his wife or some he's taken a breast and and implanted it onto himself to feed his child to prove to the miracle that he's a loving father yes and what it is if you look in he's kind of squeezing this breast and just kind of squirting milk on this baby's face for like the whole time you're in there and he's like crying as he's doing it. It's a whole scene and they, you know, they wait. Uh, this is pretty late in the game when you first find him. That mm-hmm. is uh, wild to come across. Yeah. You're definitely, you're expecting kind of gore and viscera and that kind of like stuff from everywhere else. And then you just kind of come upon this scene of... I guess a loving father. 
he's he's trying again this feels like i wasn't sure if this was one of those monkey paw things where it was like you know i want to provide for my baby and then the miracle's like oh you want to provide for your baby huh okay here's how you're gonna do it yeah Uh, but it, it sounds like he kind of did some bad shit too yeah, there's some there I th- I think there's some stuff in there that kind of alludes to the fact that he was trying to be more pious and uh he wanted this fate upon him. Yeah. So, and Did you ever finish his quest? I did. What happens? Cuz I never did. The the baby just he goes away and the baby gets put down in the wax and he's just covered in wax. Like, okay. Stationed there in the <laughs> <laughs> so he he basically he he leaves the baby with the nuns the wax nuns and the, I don't know if the wax nuns cover the baby in wax but now you got a wax baby yeah congratulations it's it's wax <laughs> oh man yeah um, the only other NPC that I wrote down was the uh, the woman who was trying to uh, no there's there's two more so there's there's one that I fucked up. Um, the woman who's trying to hold up the stones, like in a cave, she's in yeah. like a doorway. Um, I killed her on accident. I don't know if that's fucked up or not, because you you get her little idol from doing that. Uh-huh. But yeah, you basically you kill her. I think there's a way for you to do the quest where like you get a reward from it. Okay, but I didn't. Because I, I think I was going through the cave and just like I saw a wall that could yeah. be smashed and I smashed it and then uh-huh. she died. Yeah. Um. So nothing happened. But I did see a screenshot of like being in the shrine and then like her ghost is in there or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did the same thing. I, I you, you smash that wall and you're like, well, where's this lead? And then you just see her feet kind of dangling out of the rocks yeah. and you're, you're like, like oh, shit, that was that lady. <laughs> yeah. Whoops. Sorry, lady. She was um, holding up the whole upside down spire with her yeah. with her strength did you ever figure out what's going on with that woman that's holding like the sleeping child in her lap yeah un- there's under um, the city that was one i had to do a guide for okay i, had, I never I, had, I couldn't even interact with it the whole game yeah um you have to i can't remember where you first pick it up but you basically get a an incomplete lullaby and then there's like five more kind of hidden throughout the game and uh oh, okay once you finish the lullaby she can s- read read it to the the child she's holding and then it sends you into there's that whole like dreaming world that was in the first game too i think mm-hmm. which i think is supposed to maybe be like i don't know purgatory or something but she, they send you into there, you do like a platforming challenge, and then I think you get an idol from it. And okay. then she gets covered in thorns, and oh. so does the kid, and they just kind of are there. <laughs> and that's how they spend the rest of their life. Yeah. Yep, pretty much. Because everything is fucked up in this world. Mm-hmm. Did you ever find the guy that was uh, like imprisoned uh, behind a wall, and he would sell you things? I did find him. I wasn't able to do anything. Like I, I bought a couple things and then I think I never mm. went back, but I, I didn't do anything special there. No. Yeah. He kind of just talks about how he stole stuff from the dead. So I think he could sell you stuff that you might've missed off of things or something along those lines. Cause his whole thing was that he took stuff from the dead. So I don't know okay. if, if it's like, 
to try to help you clear things up throughout the rest of the game. I don't know if that's like a full, if that's fully what it's for, or if that's just kind of how I ran into it. Cause I feel like I picked some stuff up from him and I was like, Oh, that talks about some other character that maybe I missed something. So you never see him. He's just a man behind a cage or in a prison cell. So. Gotcha. Yeah. I, I didn't, didn't go back to buy stuff. I think another NPC quest that I didn't finish was finding all of the like nuns that were around. Yeah. The ladies with the one eye. Uh, oh, actually there's two, there's the ones that are sleeping and then yeah. you like go into their dream and do a combat challenge yep. or something. I think I did do all of those. Um, but the, the ones that do like the little whispers when you're nearby oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you have the, to find them. I never, all, never got all those. Yeah. They're all fully covered up kind of like a, I guess. Yeah. Like a nun. Yeah. I guess I didn't point to none. I don't know why my brain didn't go to none. <laughs> There's multiple versions of that. I mean, this version of that character is definitely like weirder and more evil looking than yeah, the they, ones that are asleep. They whisper. Yeah. Oh, um, in, it might've been in mother of mothers, but it might've been another level. There's like that old couple that's like at a dinner oh, yeah. table. I, I feel like I like completed that, but I'm not sure what, was going on there. Like a, I brought an item back and then like I gave an item to the woman. She said something. And then like the next time I went in, the man was awake and I could never like get anything else to happen. Is there, is that a quest or was that just like, yeah, it's you get, you get their idols or whatever. And I think depending on which side of the room you enter from the first time determines who I think she dies. I don't think she just goes to sleep. Okay. <laughs> Cause Whichever one ends up alive at the end, they give you something and then you can get their little idol from it, their little wood carving. Okay. And then the other one, you've basically got their item with you the whole time. Like you'll finish the game and you'll have like, he, I think he has a book and she has a bonnet or something. I don't remember, but I had that bonnet like the whole time. I'm like, what does this do? Like I ended eventually looking it up like. They're like, oh yeah, you'll you'll because she died, you keep her bonnet and you get mm. the idol, and then he you eventually get the idol for him from from somewhere else. Okay. So they're just an one of those idol quests. Gotcha. We mentioned Bee Man earlier. Or Honey Man. Oh yeah. Honey Man. <laughs> um, so I did not uh go further with Honey Man's quest, but I did see like pictures of where that goes. And it basically his body turns into honey or like melts into honey or something. Yeah, basically he just becomes <laughs> all honey. And uh, he has an idol and it breaks. And then you go back to him and then he puts it together back together with honey. And then uh, after a certain amount of times, eventually he just turns all the way into honey. And the idol, I think, becomes something different. I can't remember. Exactly what it was. But yeah, kind of a, a weird one in there. Just a man made of honey.
So were there any um, boss fights that stand out to you as being like really, you know, excellent, fun, or like visually memorable? Um, I really enjoyed um, the ghost lady, Benedicta of Endless Horizon, or Horizon, and um, it was the one in the painting tower, the tower with all the like ghostly paintings without faces, I think, mm-hmm. and um, without heads. And the boss is kind of like this like ghost, but she's carrying around a body. And it's more of those one of those ones where you're interacting with the stage more than you're interacting with the boss, and she's like throwing ghostly pillars at you, and mm-hmm. um, you're on a chandelier the whole time, kind of jumping around. But uh, her, um, just her kind of aesthetic altogether. But her her death animation when you finally kill her, and it does that freeze frame, and then it comes back. She's like holding on to the body. Like trying to prevent it from falling away from her, and then the ghost eventually like disappears, and the body just falls. Mm. And it's kind of like, oh, that's like a cool little like. She doesn't want to give up her. She's 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 got one last death throw before she yeah. finally falls to her death. Yeah, that's pretty sick. <laughs> I honestly did not remember that fight at all. Huh? Um, I had to go on the wiki to look it up. It's probably you know I'm looking at the the bosses now, and there are. 12 listed here i probably beat half of them my first try and like they just didn't make much of a an impression because of that so that i think that's one of those especially a lot of like the humanoid bosses um yeah there's the dude who has like a looks like a coffin that he's swinging at you or like um yeah uh like a a pair of stocks uh golden armor um there's the guy named odone who has like the big uh pole arm Mm mm-hmm or Halberd beat him on the first try. A lot of them. Um, the ones that like stick out are, there's one called Sinodo, Hymn of the Thousand Voices, uh, which is like uh, this, it looks like, you know, there's one big head at the top and it looks like, mm-hmm. you know, a, a, like a robe, like a, a papal robe or something like that. But then yeah. there's these six other faces down the yeah, sides. Keep swapping them. Yeah. That was cool, and but I that was a fight that took me like four or five tries to beat. So I had a lot of time to like see the attacks and see all these, you know, cool animations, like you said, with the faces swapping and stuff like that. And it's that was one that felt like a blasphemous one boss design. Yeah. And the area was cool too because it was like if like felt like it was like inside of a giant bell. Almost. Yeah, like the yep. walls were kind of encompassing, like they they almost cur- looked like they curved up. Yeah. Yeah, so that one made an impression, but like uh, I'm looking at a lot of the bosses, and it's like there's a lady with a like a fencing, uh, a fencer yeah. that you fight, and you know the fight had some cool moves, some cool animations in it, but mm-hmm. it's not super memorable. Other than that, I, I will say the big dude with the coffin, and I did not expect a little baby to jump out of it. <laughs> you, why, why would you expect that yeah because I, I fought him and I, I i feel like i cleared him first try and i was like well that wasn't too much and then this little baby pops out and starts flying around and throwing mm-hmm. daggers at you and i think i beat her and then you got to fight both of them i guess i don't know if it's a her but it's a little baby. And then you got to fight both the baby and the big guy at the same time. And I think I lost in that fight and then mm-hmm. beat him the next time. Yeah. That one, 
maybe like one or two tries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The the most memorable ones to me are the penultimate and then the final boss. So I guess like before we get to them, do you have any others that stood out to you? Uh, the weird one that felt very anime. I'm looking for him. A Aphila, Aphilio? Aphilor? Sentinel oh, of Emery. Right. The one with the, the grindstone and stuff. Yeah, the grindstone on his back. But he he just kind of reminded me of like, like an anime character. Because he's got this big old like kind of gaunt, weird smile. And mm. he's jumping got, around. and Got like a, a funny hat on. Like yeah, a top hat. silly little hat. <laughs> so he was he was fun. I think I beat him another one like second try. That one took me a few tries. Like I, it wasn't memorable enough for me to say what exactly it was that I had difficulty with, but it did take me um, a few tries. Mm-hmm. So um, we can talk about that penultimate boss, Evertino, father oh, of yeah. the penitents, um, the the first penitent one, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's got this badass, like blood red sword that it looks like it has like looks like it has like barbed wire wrapped around it or something like that. Uh, this was by far the hardest boss in the game for me. Yeah. I mean, and it, and they kind of did like they did in the, in the first game with, uh, the Pope guy, the all red Pope. Mm. Cause you had two stages and the first stage where he's kind of just doing his like Dracula thing, like where he's, poofing around and throwing fireballs at you. Mm-hmm. You you I felt like I learned that fairly quickly and I beat him and I was like, "Well, okay, cool. There's yeah. got to be more, obviously." Like <laughs> I'm, I'm I've played these and then I get into that second fight and I I think I lasted 10, 15 seconds the first time. Like he just yeah. got me in a a combo and it just wiped me out. Yep. In the second phase of that fight, he's got a couple attacks that will just stun lock you to death. Uh, mm-hmm. So they're real hard to avoid if you don't know they're coming. Then like once you learn how to avoid them, it, it's not that hard. But mm-hmm. it is one of those that will teach you by killing the fuck out of you yeah. a couple of times. And I was, I don't know, maybe I just wasn't parrying enough, but I felt like there wasn't a really a good parry strategy. I was pretty much like just be out of his way in the right direction, mm-hmm. come in, get a couple pokes and then get the hell out. Yeah. I was still using Veredicto for this fight, like for all of them. So I wasn't blocking mm-hmm. at all, dodging yeah. the whole thing. And it felt very, very learnable uh, mm-hmm. to dodge everything. I mean, it, it took me probably 20 tries to beat it, including yeah. taking a break because I got, frustrated and mad but yeah after that you know i i did get around to to beating it and it's weird to say that the hardest boss in the game is probably also my favorite one but it is probably because it did give me that right like goldilocks zone of challenge where it was really hard and i had to learn it through repeating it and learning but it wasn't it never felt unfair it always felt like you know I got too greedy and I got caught in one of those combos Mm -hmm. or like in the second phase again, like I I didn't keep proper distance and he caught me in one of those huge attacks and that's my fault. And next time I won't do it and I just won't get hit by it, uh, which is good. They're like four step combos. Like he hits you and if you, you you mess that first one up, he's going to catch you on the second one. Yeah. And then the third one, and then you're kind of, you're done. You don't have to be, 
perfect. You can definitely screw up a little bit, but you got to uh, know when to back off and when to get close. Yeah. It's also another boss that will like punish you for just dodge spamming. Like you have mm-hmm. to dodge with purpose in that. So uh, that was, that was fun. I liked that. Again, it, it really reminded me a lot of the structure of this game is basically the same structure as Blasphemous 1 right down to like the penultimate boss. You fight someone that's your size using a weapon mm-hmm. like yours. Uh, it's probably a test of parrying um, before you go to the final boss, which is like your room filling bullet hell type final exam. Uh, and this mm-hmm. Blasphemous 2 is the exact same kind of setup. Yeah. I think I think I think I did the final boss in one try. I'm it might have been two. Yeah. I might have fell into the fire once. Yeah, it was I don't know, two to five tries for me. It was pretty easy. Like the first time I just I don't know what attacks are coming, and so I got, you know, mm-hmm. just destroyed by a couple of room filling like bullet hell attacks. But yeah, not that hard. Um it's the final boss is the baby from the the heart. Uh, The baby's born and you fight it. It's called Devotion Incarnate. And um, it's it's a really cool design. It's like this very evil looking, but, you know, pale human looking thing. Uh, But it's like chest and head are all like adorned with like gold and stuff. Mm -hmm. It's it's cool. It's a really cool design. Yeah. And like you said, it is kind of the uh, the test of like your kind of room filling bullet hell can you dodge and be in the right area at the right time and get your hits off? And that type of like, um, you know, now we're going to take the floor away and you have to get mm-hmm. up on the platforms and then there's going to be projectiles. You're going to have to like platform around while trying to get a couple hits in when you can. But I don't know, just like same with the final boss in Blasphemous 1. I mm-hmm. just I just didn't think it was that hard. And this one, again, not that bad. No. Oh, I forgot about... Inverto, he he goes all he goes all full uh, Knights of the Round on you. He has that t- attack where he sends all of his little minion dudes, that mm-hmm. all the other bosses in their ghost form at you. Mm-hmm. And oh, uh, that's right, yeah, yeah. They uh, they kind of do all these like room kind of you have to be ready to dodge each and every single one of them kind of thing. Yeah, can like remembering what their attack was yeah. from their boss fight. That was kind of cool. Not that hard, but cool. No, just kind of a cool little like, hey, these were the his generals or whatever. And uh, this is what their their main gig was. This one threw towers at you. This one ran at you with a sword, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of a remembrance of everyone you had just beaten. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool stuff. Um, so I'm assuming the first time you beat the boss i assume you got the bad ending right yes did you ever get the good ending yeah i went back and i had a guide that told me how to do it all right so let's talk about the bad ending first yep so the uh bad ending you fight the miracle Mm -hmm. uh, the the child of the miracle uh after the fight it says that like it's it's like a newborn so it says like oh now i understand pain um as it's like Baptiz- it says it's baptismal sacrament, which is uh, re- religious words that I had to look up in the dictionary this afternoon. Uh, <laughs> but basically, like, it's, you know, penance or responsibility from what I'm to understand. Um, 
And so it merges with the penitent one uh, to be reborn as a new symbol of the miracle, which is not the ending that you were probably hoping for at yeah. the end of the game. Um, literally merges together, uh, becomes like a statue, um, and rises up into the sky. So I guess this means the miracle is back. Um, it actually has a uh, a quote that says, this marks the beginning of a new era for the miracle, the second Psalm. So like, by doing all of this, you just made things worse. Yeah, and it's like kind of like you've got from the first game the the symbol of the miracle was the the twisted one, the the guy that was like merged with the tree, mm-hmm. and then even like the the Pope guy eventually like became a giant tree, and because that was his like punishment from the miracle. So it's kind of a, a similar iconography. You've got the penitent one, and then this like miracle child baby like kind of merged together and then like with these branches kind of and trees coming out of them. So it's like literally this, a second Psalm of like the, what the original miracle was like mm. now there's two of them. It's gremlins too. <laughs> Everybody oh, gets no. a gremlin. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what did you have to do to get the good ending before we talk about what happens it's not nearly even as dumb as the first one okay it's something that you could maybe figure out from reading the lore notes okay so in that room where the mother the father and the the weird angel baby that got born uh where you eventually like you rise up into the city and then there's like the doves are in that room and there's a picture of the mom and then eventually when you beat all four of those guys in the doves, you go to the left through the door where the mom's face was. Right. There's a thought picture of the father on the other side. And he talks about being adorned in golden vestments. And if you have collected all of the – or four specific of the uh, the little wooden carving guys, uh-huh. four of them have gold cloth like – wrapped around them okay then you have to put them in a specific space in your little wooden socket yeah the the convenient little display case that's like yeah. in your back or some yeah shit. carved <laughs> on your back for some reason i mean i guess i don't know but yeah so you put them in basically i think the interior corners with all of them facing each other because mm-hmm. they're all looking kind of in a direction and so that they're all looking in the center you talk to the dad it opens a door you throw them into the fire, you get an ember, and then when you beat Inviterno... Um, Eviterno, yeah. Eviterno, you get an option to, I think, basically throw the ember or burn the ember or something. Basically, it gives you an option to do something before you transcend, beat the boss, and then in that ending, he's just kind of dead, curled up in the corner... And um, the angel lady with the big old cloth, who's kind of been your guide through the whole game, yeah, comes and tells you that uh, you get to go to heaven. Yeah, and that's that's what happens um, after you beat the uh, the child of the miracle. All of the uh, the plans of the miracle fail, basically, um, and then, like you said, the penitent one is carried up to heaven by. Uh, all of the cherubs that you've been mm-hmm. like rescuing throughout the game. And it's kind of cool. Like I watched this on YouTube uh, as the penitent one is going up and ascending, 
you see all the characters that you've met in both games. Mm -hmm. Well, not all of them, but a lot of them. The the important ones. Yeah, Deo Gracias is up there, for example. Yeah, he made it. So it's kind of cool. That was a nice, like, celebration, like, good, like, much better of an ending than I would have expected. Definitely. Yeah, Penitent One goes to heaven and sees all his friends. Yeah, basically. He gets to kick it with uh, God, I guess, because the Miracle Boy, the Twisted One's there. He's kind of the one, like, in the background as you're looking Mm. at everybody. So him and God and Deo Gracias and that fat little cherub baby. Yeah. (laughs) Did you find all the cherubs? Yeah. What do you get for doing that? Uh, shit, what do you get? Probably a wood carving, if I'm learning anything about this. Yeah, I think so. I think you do get the, 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 the cherub, the, the big guy, the, 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 the big fat baby with the gold head. Nice. I think you get his thing. And there's more, like, as you climb, there's, like, rewards, too. Yeah. Like, kind of in the middle sections. Yeah, I think there's, like, 38 of those cherubs, and I, I think I found, like, 25 of them or something like that without, you know, following a guide or anything. And I don't remember if they were any more difficult in the first game, but yeah, you can you can get a good amount of them before, because I think at the end I had like twenty eight. I had to go back and use a guide to get the next next couple. Yep, yep. So yeah, that is Blasphemous Two. Uh, just really good experience. Um, you know, maybe the spoiler sa- section sounds a little bit like a bummer, but. You know, we we just have a couple of memorable bosses to talk about. I guess some some fucked up NPCs to talk about too. Really, not a whole lot of story that stuck with me or that I went digging for. From what I watched on YouTube, a lot of the story that's going on is cool. Um, I just didn't want to like, you know, watch a YouTube video and write down everything they said and then bring that as like my own, you know, thing on the podcast yeah. here. So like I, said, I think you. When you say it at the beginning, like it's somebody else's job to do the lore, we're not really, you're not really focused on doing a, uh, you know, dissertation on blasphemous lore. Yeah. We're just kind not of talking about, not for game. this game. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks, man. Thank you for coming on and uh, again, talking about the sequel with me. Yeah. Thanks for having me back on. I definitely enjoyed playing it and I definitely enjoyed talking about all the weird catholic stuff going on yep and again there's even more weird catholic and spanish uh, cultural stuff going on that we didn't even touch on so again uh, you can find your favorite lore hound on youtube or podcasts or something and uh, support the people that are doing that work but this has been fun again thank you for coming on uh blasphemous three if and when that comes out uh consider i want to play as crisanta yeah So thank you, everybody, for listening. If you've listened this far, uh, know that I love and appreciate you more than anybody else. That's right, anybody. So thank you for listening, as always. Tune in next week for the next game to come out of the backlog.